You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Welcome into a Thursday edition of Crunch Time here on the game. It's Southwest Louisiana's sports station in your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. Matt Miguez here. Give us a call on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. We're broadcasting live from the FCO Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. FCO Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. If you thought that the New Orleans Pelicans were going to move on last night, quite like I did, I guess that's what we get for thinking. The New Orleans Pelicans fall to the Oklahoma City Thunder 123 to 118 in a game that just looked sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. We'll recap that game, get into what went wrong for New Orleans. We'll also talk about the Louisiana Raging Cajuns getting their six game win streak snapped last night by Southeastern LSU. Back in Alex Box Stadium this weekend for a three-game set with Kentucky. We'll preview all of that and much, much more. Jay Walker joins us at 4.30 today. And then Aaron Gershon from 247 Sports. He covers Kentucky. He'll join us to preview that Tigers and Wildcats matchup. Let me bring in my producer for the next couple of days. I've been on these airways for over a year, and I have yet to say this. Clint Domang, welcome to the Thunderdome. This is the Thunderdome? This is the Thunderdome. Today it is. I have never heard you say that before. I've so never this said is, that. This is amazing, you to, saying this. To, today it's the Thunderdome. Today it's the Thunderdome. It's it's appreciated. And tomorrow it's the Thunderdome. And For then two it, days only it's the Thunderdome. Correct. Why is that? I'm curious. Because Did you come up with this today or what? No. I've been waiting for the opportunity to call it the Thunderdome. And I don't know. With, with your wrestling prowess it just felt right <laughs> i appreciate it it just felt right I, mean, I thought i thought it was gonna be more of a mad max type thing where we were just gonna get we were just gonna get into it and get it on right from the jump straight I mean, on the show that 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 kind of vibe also yes yeah. post-apocalyptic world without james mesh god that that guy <laughs> he, he he sent me a video earlier today we can't we can't repeat what he said in the video you, you cannot repeat what he said in the video no you cannot but this man is deep in the waters of Grand Isle fishing for garfish. You got to respect it, though, bro. Like, I mean, I guess. I, I just never pictured James Mesh to be the fisherman type. Well, I mean, he's probably not the fisherman type, but, you know, if he's probably one of those guys that's like winning Rome, you know? That poor like, guy. Like, he's a laid-back kind of cat. Like, I, I guarantee you, he may not be a fisherman by trade, but I guarantee you he's one of those, like I said, winning Rome. Now, here's the question. All right. Does he meet a girl while he's in Grand Isle? Ah, oh, man. I don't know what kind of girls you're going to meet in we, Grand we, Isle. We need to get James Mesh a girlfriend. It, it needs to happen. Well, here's the thing. He's 20-something. He should be like, he's he's got the hair. Like, he's got the Trevor Wallace hair, bro. Like, he, he could probably get himself one. He, he, does have, he does have the hair. It's not as good as mine. We've but, been through this debate before. I think, I think Mesh got you beat. Oh, I don't know. I don't know. You got me beat because you even, got more. I didn't even fix it today, and look how good it looks. It looks oh. it's better than mine. I'll tell you that right oh, now. Oh man, M- mine's just a mess. All right, so the New Orleans Pelicans. 
Look. The the thing that gets to me is it's the same song and dance every year. Start off hot. Oh man, the Pelicans might have something. They were first place in the West at one point. They were top three in the West at the new year. Zion goes down and everything goes downhill. But then right here at the end of the year, the Pelicans win nine of their last 12. They get you hoping that, oh, you know, they might make a run. Who knows? They win a play-in game. They maybe win two. Maybe they avoid the play-in altogether. And could be in the mix for something. No. 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 You know, you look at it. The Pelicans scored 118 points last night. Brandon Ingram had 30 Herb Jones with 20, Trey Murphy with 21, but then nobody else really did any, anything. Jonas Valanciunas had 16 and 18. That's respectable. But again, we've talked about it time and time again. CJ McCollum cannot go 5 of 15. Not on this stage. You can't. And look, do things look a little different now that we know the injury that he was playing with? Yeah, sure. But here's my two cents on that. If you knew back in January that your thumb needed surgery, why didn't you go get surgery so that you would be healthy come April? Or, even if you weren't going to be healthy, why not just take the time away? That way, B.I. dealt with injuries. Zion missed most of the season. C.J. McCollum misses half the season. And then guess what? When the Pelicans missed the playoffs, the narrative is, oh, well, they underperformed, but look at all the injuries they had to deal with. The Pelicans would have gotten the benefit of the doubt. But no, you had to try to do what you thought was best when in terms it really wasn't. And now the Pelicans have fallen off of a cliff. Let's go to the game hotline now. Armand, what's going on, man? Frank is first. Oh, Frank, what's going on? Oh, not a lot, but people call me Armand when I'm on TV. Um, I can't, you know, if y'all want to talk about the Pelicans, that's cool. But I think there was over-expectation for that game anyway. But what I'd like to ask is, does anybody want to dive into what Shaq uh, talked about uh, yesterday? With Angel Reese? Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I've seen a lot of great players go through LSU, and a player that was trash-talking does not exactly count to me as a, the greatest athlete. I mean, I, I see Shaq's point. I mean, she, she set the NCAA record for double-doubles in a season. So, I mean, I, I see Shaq's point, but I also see your point. I mean, just look at the women's side. I mean, Simone Augustus. And then on the men's side, Pete Maravich, Shaq. You know, I, I could continue. Bob Pettit. There have been some legends to come out of LSU. I mean, athletes, I mean, you've got a plethora of, of football stars. Correct. A, a cornucopia of baseball stars, track and field. I mean, you even had a track and field star that, that made national news because she got kicked off the team because of pot. Correct. Who 
you know, I, I don't even understand how that's a thing, but whatever. I mean, if she's good enough to compete in the Olympics, let her compete. What she does on her private time, I mean, unless it's something incredibly, incredibly illegal, okay, okay, let her compete. She's good enough. Yep. No, I, I agree. Whole, I agree with you. The whole thing about her being the greatest athlete, mm, that, that's a big grain of salt right there. Yeah, that was that was definitely an interesting take by by Shaq. No question about it. Frank, appreciate the call, man. Thank you, Bob. All right, now let's go back to the game hotline. Armand, what's up? Hey, but just a couple of comments on uh, on the uh, Zion situation. Okay. Uh, yeah, what you got? Oh, are you there? Yes, sir. Well, you know the comment that he made about being not mentally ready. To me, is the most absurd, selfish, ignorant statement I've ever heard a professional athlete come out with. If he's a hundred percent physically, and he says he's not mentally ready to play, I mean, that, that doesn't make any sense. What he's gonna miss a layup, or he's gonna miss some, everybody does that. If he can't handle it mentally, get it behind out of there. But to say he's not mentally ready is about ridiculous. He's making fourteen. A year. He makes $175,000 a game in an 80-game season. He plays 37 games. That's $378,000, but he can help the team sitting on the bench. He's going to support him on the bench. Him and Alvarez is, is cracking jokes on the, on, the, on the bench. I mean, and all to say to condemn what he did. Now, if he's not physically ready, then he shouldn't play. But he's physically ready. But he's not mentally ready. That's a professional athlete. That's amateurish, selfish, and I don't know what else. If we went on there, I could have a lot more adjectives, but it's ridiculous. Well, look, man, I, taking, huh? I I appreciate the call, but uh, I, I disagree wholeheartedly. Um, m- mental health has become such a huge aspect in the world of sports, and just because he's a professional athlete and makes $14 million a year doesn't mean that he can't be right um, mentally and be struggling with mental issues. Because here's the thing. For a guy like Zion that's known nothing but basketball his entire life, when you've only played 114 games in four seasons, that's going to take a toll on you mentally. Um, So I I don't necessarily disagree with, with him saying that he just doesn't feel ready. But anyways, let's go back to the game hotline. David, what's up? David, you there? Yes. What you got? I'm here. Yes, sir. Go ahead. Hello? Yes, sir. Yes. Uh, to say that I have to agree with you in reference to the mental health statement. You know, to say that, oh, that's that's absurd because you're physically ready that you should be able to do, you know, go out and play basketball or whatever the sport may be, even though you're not mentally into it, that makes no sense. That is just a bunch of, you know what. You know, I read an article, and you may have seen the same article in reference to Giannis. And Giannis mm-hmm. said that in 2020, he nearly he retired. just retired like, from basketball because of his mental status. Yeah, you no. recall seeing that? I, absolutely. You know, and and it's it's. I don't know why people just like to gloss over. Oh, you're making such and such amount of money. Everything should be okay with you. That isn't the case. If money is your 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 key to happiness, 
<laughs> then you're <laughs> doing you something want. wrong in life. You know, um, because money isn't the key to happiness. You know, I've been to places in this world, and you probably have been, where people are dirt poor, but as happy as happy can be. Absolutely. Happier than any millionaire or billionaire that you ever come across in your entire life. Yeah, absolutely. You know, now with the inquiries deal, the gentleman said that he referred to as a trash talker. If he only knows her as a trash talker, then bless his heart. Because the young lady is a doggone superior athlete. Is she the best athlete to come out of LSU? I don't say no, but that is Shaquille O'Neal's opinion. And, you know, he's not even above himself, who's a pretty decent athlete. Right. But if she's only known as a trash talker, then he, he, he may not be watching the sport of women's basketball. Right. But, he, but, he, but here's the thing that's scary. Look at what Angel Reese did this year. She's only a sophomore. Exactly. Exactly. And this team that's coming up in the, in the fall, if all those recruits that – have committed to LSU pan out. Imagine that upcoming. Oh, yeah, yeah we, we thought LSU basketball was good this year. They're going to be pretty scary next year. Exactly. Keep an eye on the young lady, Michaela Williams. Yep. Absolutely. I she saw is... her play with the USA versus the World competition that was like a few days ago. Mm-hmm. Yeah, she and was fantastic. She was just phenomenal. Yeah, she was I'm absolutely fantastic. Phenomenal. She looked great. So enjoy the rest of the afternoon, gentlemen. David, really appreciate the call. Let's go back to the game hotline now. Will, what's up? Hey. He he didn't say that he was uh, suffering from depression or anything like that. He just said he was mentally not ready to play. And how can you not be mentally ready to play when that's all you've done your whole life is play basketball? Well... His, his his exact quote was that he would come back when he felt like Zion. Yeah, well, the the problem is is that he he's he's overweight. That's his problem. It's not he, he's not suffering from depression and he he is not having suicidal tendencies. He's overweight, and uh, saying that he's not mentally ready is just a cop out. I I disagree. Well, you can disagree all you want, but he never told you that he was suffering from any kind of mental illness he said he was mentally not ready which means he didn't want to play i, I mean I, I that can be your opinion um but uh, again when, when somebody says that they're not physically or mentally ready to do something i mean brandon ingram said the same thing earlier in the season and nobody said a word well i mean i disagree with it then too i mean that's what you get paid to do is play is play basketball He's been playing basketball since he was probably like four years old. It's the only thing you t- you said it earlier. The only thing that he knows how to do. Um, I mean, you don't really have to get mentally ready to play a basketball game, but that's all you've done your whole life. Of course you do. But I appreciate uh, the call, no. man. Not really. No. Let's go back to the game hotline. Got one more before we take a timeout. John, what's up? Hey, um, I was just wanted to chime in with y'all was talking about. Yeah, the CJ McCollum thing. That's you're absolutely right about that. If he would have said, took some time off in January and got his hand, got his thumb ready for the playoffs, might have been in better shape. Also, with uh, Zion Williamson with the depression or mental illness, yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. The only thing I'm 
kind of love discussing about is what did David Griffin say last year? He promised more transparency with Zion Williams or anything else. And For the last few weeks, we've you haven't gotten it. On what's going on? Right. With Zion Williams, and is he happy with his team? Does he want to trade? We didn't find out anything about Zion Williams until he did the press conference yesterday or the day before. I just wish there would be more transparency on what's going on, so as fans we don't have to speculate because we have lack of information. For sure. For sure, I, I totally agree with you. You know, that last all season they talked about being more transparent, and they weren't. Um, so hopefully, that they finally get that together uh, this off season. Exactly, and that's the only way you can get a strong fan base is having some kind of transparency. Yeah. Same thing goes on last year with the Cajuns. No, absolutely. You never know what's wrong because there's no transparency. There's always just people guessing about. Well, we think this might be going on. If teams would be more transparent, you'd have stronger fan bases. Yep. No, absolutely. John, appreciate the call, man. You too. Have a good afternoon. You too. And, uh, yeah, I mean, great great conversation there uh, about the New Orleans Pelicans throughout all of those phone calls. But we'll go ahead and take a timeout here. When we return on Crunch Time at 419, we're going to talk some Cajuns baseball. They went over to Hammond America last night and fell to Southeastern 5-4. to four. We'll recap that game. Plus, we'll begin the conversation of LSU baseball as they host Kentucky at the box right here on the game. Major League Baseball is back and it's time for a tradition like none other. Old school baseball guys arguing with the analytical crowd on why RBI should still be relevant. Show us that million dollar arm because I got to Oh, I got a good idea about that five-cent head of yours. No, but seriously, what the heck is war? Yeah. What? Who comes up with this stuff? You're killing me, Smalls. Now, back to more baseball talk here on The Game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Clint, how did the computer know... That we were talking baseball. How did it know? They're getting smarter, man. I mean, we got Chad GPT. I, I, I guarantee you, they're is, gonna they're gonna know what we're thinking next. Is Big Brother listening? A hundred percent, he's listening. Like the other day, I, I, I was talking with somebody about him a, a type of shoe, and literally, I got the ad for it. Yep. Like within like the next morning, I'm like, yep. what the hell happens all the time. It's the worst. The Louisiana Raging Cajuns fell to Southeastern yesterday over in Hammond 5-4. to four. It was a game where Louisiana got a pair of runs in the first inning, got another run in the fourth and another run in the sixth, but were held scoreless the final three innings. They were held to only seven base hits in the contest. The dagger was a solo home run in the seventh inning by T.J. Salvaggio, to lift Southeastern to that 5-4 to four victory. In the ninth, the Cajuns were struck out three straight times. The relief pitcher that came in for the save only threw nine pitches. Strike, 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 strike. That is efficient, folks. 
Can't have it any other way, man. That that is what you call efficiency. Um, with the loss, the Cajuns snapped their six-game win streak. They fall to twenty-four and ten, while Southeastern sits at seventeen and sixteen. Look, I, I understand that you're not going to win every single baseball game. You can't be the Tampa Bay Rays. They'll lose eventually. Well, obviously, and, and we'll get we'll get to them here in just a second because I actually want to bring that up. I just, as a longtime Cajuns fan, I hate losing to in-state schools. I hate it. Especially when they're having a down year like Southeastern is. They were 500 going into this game. Oh, I, I, It just bugs me. It just bugs me. But anyways, 24-10. and 10, Now they're going to come back to Russo Park. They're going to play a three-game series with Troy. Man, that guy must be good. <laughs> Fight, fighting you, off a, a whole baseball team do by you himself? Say that, do you say that every time yes. Cajuns play Troy? Yes. Okay. Yes. I haven't as a heard it again. Admittedly, when I'm in my office all the way up front, I'm I have y'all on, but I also have like three other stations going on at once. So it's like that I'm not even hear you every time. That has been a running joke for years in my family. Anytime UL plays Troy, man, that guy must be good. <laughs> Bradley, same thing. That guy must be good. But anyways, it, it whatever. So you brought up the the Tampa Bay Rays. They have now tied the modern record for the best start to a season at 13-0. and They beat the Red Sox uh, earlier today. Thank you. Thank you, sweet baby Jesus. They beat the Red Sox 9-3. to Tampa Bay has now matched the 13-0 start of the 82 Braves and the 87 Brewers. The only opening streak longer was 20-0 in 1884 by the St. Louis Maroons. This was the largest crowd at at Tropicana Field since opening day. 21,175 were in attendance in the Trop, and the Rays have set a franchise record for wins at any point in the season by topping their 12-game run of June 2004. Now, the question here is, there are such things as hot starts, so the question becomes, how legit are the Rays? You've got Wander Franco, who's a great talent. You've got Randy Rosarena, who has had another unbelievable start to the season. You've got strong pitchers with Shane McClanahan and Drew Rasmussen. Yandy Diaz is having a strong season at first base as well. But when push comes to shove later in the year, are the Tampa Bay Rays going to be a team that we're looking at that has 95 wins and a legit contender for a World Series championship? Or are they going to be hovering around 500, scratching to make the playoffs? What kind of Tampa Bay Rays team are we going to be looking at? I think we look at a team that's probably going to be a playoff team, more likely than not. I, I wouldn't be surprised if they win the AL East right now, the way they're playing. And the fact you've got guys that aren't necessarily the superstars, but you know they have that potential to do some great things. We saw it all the way back in 2020 during that COVID-shortened season. Guys like Randy Rosarino, Wander Franco, those guys are absolutely going to be 
key cogs in it. If you're able to stay healthy, I wouldn't be surprised if they make a run in the American League, maybe making it to the ALCS again. I think that's the can, potential this team has. Can they please win the AL East? Because I'm tired of seeing either the Yankees or Red Sox winning it. Well, the Red Sox haven't won it in a while, to well, be fair. To be fair. That's fair. That is true. Like Since they won the World Series, and it's it's been the Yankees. I mean, if I'm not mistaken, again, my, my knowledge kind of, like, I miss it sometimes. Didn't the Rays win the East, or did they come out of the wild card round in 2020 during that shortened year? I want to say they came out of the wild card round. I'd have to look that up, but I want to say they came out of. I'm about to pull it up right now. The wild card round, but you know, looking around the majors, oh, they they won. They did win the AL East. Yeah, okay. they, they won by like seven games. They were forty and twenty. Interesting. They were impressive that year. Interesting. How about the Baltimore Orioles not being in last place? It's a rare sight to see, but again, you talk about the Red Sox. The Red Sox have been pretty dog. So like it, it's weird to see, but. I think it's a good sign to see the Orioles actually at least somewhat competing at 7-6. and six. But look who they played against, the Oakland A's, who have fallen off compared to They're, what I thought they were going that, that, to be. I was, just, I was just about to say the Oakland Athletics are sitting there at 3-10. and 10. You're, you're not playing money ball. You're playing garage sale ball the way that team is absolutely in the tank and then some. At what point is that team just going to get revitalized? The second they move out of Oakland? Because, like... Every year, I feel like they have the lowest budget in the MLB. No, yeah, like it's it's you can't win that way. No, you you can't win in any like sport playing like that. So I'm just waiting for the day that somebody takes over, moves them out of Oakland, and just dumps a bunch of money into them to make them contenders again. No, I think the second that you move the team, like sell, even if you just don't sell the team, you move it. That's going to speed the process up significantly, in and, my mind. And real quick, shout out to LSU Gymnastics. They have advanced to the National Gymnastics Championship. Nice. So is LSU becoming National Championship U in 2023? Eh, yeah, I'd pump the brakes on that. They're, like, Here's the thing. It's great to see, because, I, but also LSU Gymnastics – Consistently, consistently good. Makes it to the final four. They are makes it to the national title game in their in their sport. Track and field has been good for for the last several years. I mean, Mondo Duplantis alone got them several championships. Baseball is well on their way to Omaha. Absolutely, women's basketball. Like this is probably one of the best times to be an LSU fan. Period. Not just right. LSU football fan, LSU basketball fan, no, LSU, LSU in general. A fan of LSU in general, and it's all a, it's all because it's got Woodward. And, you know, we can get in that conversation about what Shaq said, and I can agree with him at least somewhat because of what she's been able to do. Now, if they make another run and potentially run it back, then I could agree with Shaq's statement wholeheartedly. Yeah, because there's not too many athletes, be it male, female, whatever sport you want to pick that can win back-to-back national championships or make a contender like they are. No, absolutely. Not too many. Absolutely. We're going to take a time out here on Crunch Time 433. When we return, let's do Cajuns Corner with Jay Walker, the longtime voice of the Cajuns. We'll talk about last night's game against Southeastern. Plus, we'll preview the weekend against Troy right here on the game.
Welcome back. 437, almost 438 here on your Thursday. Matt Miguez, Clint Domingue, broadcasting live from the Evco Development Studios here in Upper Lafayette. Jay Walker joins us on the game hotline for Cajun's Corner. Jay, good afternoon, sir. How are you? Lovely. It's, um, it's a lovely day. Actually, it's cloudy, but it's still lovely, and so it's great. Let's talk about last night. The Cajuns falling 5-4 to four to Southeastern over in Hammond. It was a back-and-forth game for a little while, and then that solo shot in the seventh really just kind of put the dagger into things. Um, Max Marshak had a, another great performance with his leadoff homer, second homer in as many days. First, I would like you to give your thoughts on the game, and then the second part of the question is, is Max Marshak finally starting to come around? Well, I think the jury's still out on the second part. It looks like he is because he's striking out less and he's got a lot of loud outs. Um, you know, you you, you want to see him continue that um, that kind of play. I think the sample size is still a little, a little small, but, uh, you know, here's hoping that that continues. You know, last night was frustrating in a couple of ways. You know, first of all, I think you got to give Southeastern a little credit played one of their better games of the year, um, took what the Cajuns gave them and made something out of it. They got, they got bunts down, they got timely hits, um, and they pitched well enough. Uh, you know, the, it all came down to the seventh inning when the, uh, when the Cajuns had the bases loaded, nobody out, and they get one run and a sacrifice fly, and that's it. You know, when, when you look at the the halfway point of the year the Cajuns are now sitting at about 24 and 10 still top of the Sunbelt Conference at this point where have you seen the biggest growth of this team from a year ago and where do you think this team still needs to improve oh I think the growth has been uh, in the depth of the pitching staff um they have um you've had a couple of guys that have shown some flashes and then you've got some guys who were who were pitching well who are now pitching really well and and I think the growth there has been has been big um, you know Carson Fluno is going to turn into if this continues one of the most feared uh, relief guys in the entire league because he's got that breaking ball working with a 93 mile an hour fastball and um, you know Etheridge has been given a couple of more opportunities he stepped up we saw Stephen Cash do a really nice job last night and unfortunately was hit with the loss. I, I just I just think that the pitching staff's getting a little deeper as far as quality depth is concerned. You know, you brought up Carson Fluno. He, he reminds me a lot of Bo Bonds from from the the a stuff aspect, but from a mentality mindset, Carson Fluno reminds me a lot of Dylan Moore. Well, you know. Neither one of those are an insult. I can guarantee you that. Um, you know, the the from the very beginning of the season, uh, if you talked with uh, with Tib or if you talked with Matt, they, you know, they said, "Look, you know, this guy, this guy Fluno reminds me so much of Bo Bonds." And so it's interesting that you say that because that's what the coaches have been saying uh, all year. You know, but he's got, you know, Bonds. His his breaking ball was more twelve to six, and this is. This looks almost a little more like a slider than it does a curveball with with Fluno, 
But, um, you know, couple that with 93, 94 miles an hour, and, and they're very, very similar. Chatting with Jay Walker here on Crunch Time. Looking ahead to this weekend, Troy's going to come into Russo Park. You know, you look at the Trojans, they have a very similar overall record to the Cajuns coming in at 23-11, and 11, but they're 6-6 six and six in the Sun Belt. What, what stands out about Troy? What do they do well? Uh, they hit the long ball. Now, part of that's predicated by the ballpark that they play in that has the really short right center field porch. Uh, kind of like the Louisiana Tech's numbers the other night. But they have some legitimate guys with legitimate power uh, on that team. And uh, they've got uh, enough experience to where I think they gel pretty well together. Um, they'll run a little bit. They don't, they don't overrun, but, they, but they're good when, when they decide to do so. And, uh, you know, offensively, I think there's a lot to like about them. Um, Pitching-wise, um, you know, they're still trying to figure out who their third guy is. Uh, but uh, Brady Fuller, the guy who's going to go tomorrow, is, is, is a legit uh, first guy to throw out there. Uh, and they've had a couple of guys in the pen that have pitched really, really well. The thing that's a surprise about Troy, and it's kind of like their drawback, is this is a team that traditionally is very good defensively, and they have the worst fielding percentage in the Sun Belt Conference. I mean, you've got, uh, I think, three guys who have double-digit errors on this team. Uh, the Cajuns, as a team, haven't made 30 errors all season long. Um, so that's that's the drawback, I think, to this Troy team is uh, – you know, they better get strikeouts because they're not good once the ball's been put in play. Jay, I know he's only a junior, but why does it feel like William Sullivan has been in a Troy Trojans uniform for six years? <laughs> Feels like yeah, that know, cat's right? been there forever. Yeah, yeah. He's, uh, you know, like I said, the team's got legit power, and we saw that, you know, last year uh, in, I think, the second game of the three-game series when they when they walked the Cajuns off with a long ball. In fact, they won 4-3 to three and hit four home runs. I'm, um, you know, the the big deal about Sullivan, especially, he's the guy whose name you circle in the lineup. But it's true of all of these guys who have power. You just try to keep the guy in front of him off base to where if he does hit it out, it's only one run. Six o'clock on Friday, four o'clock on Saturday, and then one o'clock on Sunday. Jay, let's talk Cajun softball. They dropped a pair of midweek games this week to Baylor and Texas A&M. 2-1 against Baylor and the 4-2 last night against A&M. Both games, you've had opportunities to to win it, to, to make plays and to put yourself right there in the mix in, in the final couple innings. When you look at, at these games and really a lot of the games that they played against tougher competition the message is kind of the same they're right there and you just need to tweak a few things here and there yeah you know i i thought the two to one game you know we're, we're i mean it was two to one and it's what i call a, a traditional softball game where one guy gets uh, one more lick than you do um you know last night i i think it's going to be especially frustrating to, to to jerry glasgow and his staff you know, because they, they stranded a boatload of runners. They had the bases loaded, nobody out, and didn't score. Uh, it seemed like they were threatening every inning but never came up with the big hit. And, you know, I think the first night you look at your opponent, say, the, the other pitcher, and say, hey, nice job. But I think uh, when you lose one like that, that's pretty tough. 
Jay Walker, the voice of the Cajuns, joining us here for Cajuns Corner. Jay, before I let you run, you know what are your what are your thoughts to the start of the MLB season? Well, I, I'll say this, and, I, and I'm speaking, uh, you know, specifically as a Dodgers fan and and the West Coast baseball. You know, I used to uh, turn the Dodgers on at night and say, "Okay, I'm going to watch them." And then after about four innings, I, I said, "Okay, I'm, I'm going to bed now." Um, now, you can actually, I can actually stay up and watch a whole game. This the 45 minutes a game that they have shaved off, um, I think, is great. Now, I, I don't know about the bigger bases and the other stuff. I'm just saying that you can go ahead and watch a game and not say, well, I'll watch it for a little while and then i got to go do something else because the games are short enough to where a lot of times you can watch the whole thing. What do you, what do you think about beer sales getting extended because teams were losing money left and right? Yeah, not in favor of that. I mean, there's a reason why they cut you off in the seventh inning. Um, and it was because they didn't want you drinking and driving. And... Um, now they're saying that they're they're going to go till forty minutes after the game's over with, and then put you put you in a car and put you on the road. Uh, I think it, I think the hypocrisy is amazing there. Jay, have a great call this weekend, and uh, we'll do it again next week. Appreciate it, man. Thanks for having me, Coach Agents. You're listening to the game. One zero three seven Lafayette and one zero four one Lake Charles. Hit high, hammer to left field. Going back, taking a look is Holcomb. Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Driven pretty well and pretty deep to left field. Going back as Varsho, looking up. See you later! Your home for the LSU Tigers and Houston Astros. It's time 4.51 here on your Thursday. Matt Miguez, Clint Domang. Let's take a look at your poll question of the day. How do you feel about the Pelicans' season? Are you relieved that it's over? Are you very frustrated? Or is it about what you expected? So far, 41% say frustrated. 33% say they're relieved that it's over. And the other 26% are saying that it is what they expected. Hart says, I genuinely feel this team has the pieces with or without Zion to be successful. But with that being said, their biggest downside has been rotations and lineups. Willie is a good fit for coach, but his decision-making has been questionable to say the least this season. Salty Steve says, no offense, my iPhone 14 is like the Pell's 2023 season. Uh, and I'm not going to finish the rest of that comment. Brian says, Check hopefully... Check it out in your own terms. Hope, yeah, ho- hopefully we, uh, we get a higher draft seed. Darren says, I wonder how many Pelicans fans really think Griff is doing a good job. See, that's that's the criticism I've heard the most. Is David Griffin doing a good job as the executive vice president of the New Orleans Pelicans? I'm not sure. And the reason that I say that I'm not sure is he has tied his entire career in New Orleans to Zion Williamson. And you haven't seen Zion on the floor enough to make a judgment. Which is part of the reason why I still believe that David Griffin has a job in New Orleans. But I'm going to say this also. 
the Pelicans need to make a move of some kind. Whether it's acquiring somebody via free agency in the offseason or making a trade at the deadline, whatever, you need a point guard. I love Jose Alvarado. I do. He will never be a starting point guard in the NBA. He won't. He's a great rotational piece. He's a great sixth or seventh man. But I just, I I can't see him being a starting point guard in the NBA. You need a point guard because CJ McCollum is not one. And the longer that you try to turn him into one at his 31 years of age, you're not doing yourself or him any favors. His game is to be a spot-up shooter. And now with his hand injury, we, we now know why he maybe struggled to, to knock down shots this year. But that's his game. So you need to find a Damian Lillard type that can complement C.J. McCollum. You need to find a Chris Paul type that can facilitate the basketball. You need something. Because what you got right now is not working. It's not. Because you have regressed since the 2021-2022 season. With that being said, I think Zion comes back healthier next season. So much so that I I believe he could win comeback player of the year next year. I think the Pelicans could be a top team in the West if they stay healthy and can make a run in the playoffs next year. I love all the contingencies you're putting on this, Miguel. But it's, it's true, right? It's true, but like at the same time, I could say the same thing about the Saints the last like three years. If this happened, if that happened. Well, of course. You could say that about any team any year. Yeah, of course. But I'm like, being realistic, though, I don't think that's what the Pelicans' lot in life is going to be. I think they, because you see it every year. You saw it this year as a prime example. Started off the season red hot. Absolutely looked great. I had money on him to win the Southwest Division. That's as best as I was going to put him at because I wasn't going to put all my stock into saying, hey, this team's going to make a run, make it to the Western Conference Finals, maybe contend for the Larry O'Brien Trophy. I don't think that's what's going to happen. And you and I talked about it all off the air. Might as well bring it up now. You and I, you said 60 games, right? Zion Williamson plays in 2023-24 mm-hmm. season? Mm-hmm. I I I'll take the under on that and run with it. Is you're thinking he starts the vast majority of the games in 2023-2024 season, 82 games, 60 of them. I'm taking the under on that and running with it to the bank. If you look at the trends, he's going he's he's going to play that. Because 2019-2020 plays 24 games. 2020-2021 he plays 61. Okay. Last year, he missed the whole year, so count it if you want. Don't count it if you want. I'm counting it. This year, he plays 29. So, looking at the stats, he's due for a 60-game season, if you look at the trends. If you look at the trends, but it's a small sample size, though, Miguez. Like, he's only been in the league a certain number of years. I'll gladly... 
I'll gladly eat my crow if he goes over 60 games over the court, or if he hits 60. I'll be over the moon. I'll eat my crow gladly. But I'm doubting that heavily, your opinion on that. We'll Just see. Saying. We'll see what happens. Hour number one in the books. we still got 30 minutes to go. We'll kick it off with a Kentucky Wildcats preview with Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws 24-7 right here on the game at Southwest Louisiana Sports Station in your home for the World Series champion Houston Astros. You're clocked out. We're locked in. You're listening to Crunch Time with Miguez and Mesh here on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Hour down, 30 minutes to go right here on Crunch Time. You're listening to the game, Southwest Louisiana sports station. Matt Miguez, Clint Domang. Coming live from the Evco Development Studios in Upper Lafayette, Evco Development is a civil construction company that specializes in new multifamily construction. Hit us up on the game hotline, 337-706-0111. And here in Acadiana, you can check us out on our simulcast by going to Stadium 32.3 and Channel 133 on LUS Fiber. In our number one, we talked about the New Orleans Pelicans. We looked at the Louisiana Ragin' Cajuns, and we also talked about the MLB just a little bit here in hour number two we're going to preview lsu baseball before we turn it over to the voice of the tigers chris blair at 5 30 let's start looking at it from the kentucky point of view aaron gershon of the cats paws 247 joins us on the game hotline to talk about the 11th ranked kentucky wildcats aaron thank you so much for taking the time man how are you anytime doing pretty well how about you guys oh doing fantastic it's baseball season yeah, I mean, you, That's right. you, you can't complain, right? <laughs> Absolutely, yes. I am a massive baseball guy. I watch every pitch of the Yankees. That's my team, MLB-wise. And this Kentucky team has been just—it's been stunning how well they've played this year. So it's been fun to cover around here. From an from an Astros fan to a Yankees fan, I'll forgive you. <laughs> hey, you, I got you. Got everything on us. You can't hate us. We're just the punching bag right now. <laughs> The Kentucky Wildcats come into the series with LSU at 27-5, and 18-1 in the friendly confines of Lexington, Kentucky, 9-4 on the road. You know, just kind of talk about this season that, you know, you opened SEC play with a sweep of Mississippi State. You took two out of three with Alabama. You swept Missouri. Just kind of talk about the, the highs and the little bit of lows for the Wildcats. Yeah, I mean, I think the first thing is first is this season has really kind of come out of nowhere. I mean, Kentucky baseball, since their 2017 year when they went to uh, Super Regionals, hosted a regional that year, first time ever even getting uh, to Super Regionals in the first year under uh, Nick Mangione, head coach. You know, they haven't been back to the tournament since. They kind of they got a raw deal in 2018. They were number 27 uh, in the RPI. They won 14 games in the conference, but didn't get in, but regardless, they've been bad the last couple of years, and they had a good run in the SEC tournament last year, but other than that, uh, Kentucky baseball has kind of been an, an afterthought, um, but this year, uh, offensively playing the small ball style baseball they play, uh, the pitching staff has been great, and you know, they got off, I think they won 17 in a row from, I believe it was the end, I think it was February 26th until they lost the series finale at Alabama. Uh, which was just an insane run, and they were winning a lot of those games uh, pretty easily. And they they ran through Mississippi State to open SEC play, like you said. Uh, Alabama, they rolled them. 
uh, or they went into extra innings one game. They beat them pretty good game two, if I remember that correctly. And then they dropped uh, the last game of that series by one run. They sweep Missouri. First two games were blowouts. They were able to outpitch them in game three. And then they hit their first little kind of speed bump of the year last weekend at Georgia. But, I mean, they came back in one game one in an impressive fashion. And then, you know, two seven-inning doubleheaders after a day off maybe just threw things off a little bit. But, you know, this team has been, it's been, again, it's been very shocking to see what the year they're having. But, you know, now that we're, we kind of have a, 30-plus game sample size and have gotten to know some of these players, it's coming a little less surprising and more impressive by the day. Looking at the Wildcats, talk about head coach Nick Mingione. You know, in his seventh season, he's coached 26 major leaguers in his career. Mm -hmm. Talk about his time in Lexington and what he's done to, to bring Kentucky baseball to the forefront. Yeah, well, it got it got off to an amazing start when you know 2017 was his first year, and that was arguably uh, the best year in UK baseball history. I mean, hosting a regional for I think it was only the second or third time, and ending up winning that regional, going to supers where you know they got swept by Louisville, but still that year was magical. And then it, it dropped off. 2018, they were kind of they had the, almost the same exact roster, ended up having 13 draft picks from that team, uh, the 17, 18 teams, and. You know, they had a lot of injuries down the stretch and missed the tournament like I touched on, probably should have made it, but missed it regardless. And then, you know, there's been a, there's been a major drop-off the last couple of years. But, you know, the last few years since the portal has become even more prominent, I mean, I think college baseball, we've kind of known the portal plays a big role in that sport for a while, or at least transferring did for a while. But, I mean, this, this whole team is transfers. I mean, I, I think it's... 13 guys new to this year and then a bunch of guys from last year's team who were transfers at one point. Eight of the nine guys who were in the opening day lineup were transfers. I mean, they attacked the portal and they've seemed to, and Ming Jion and his staff have seemed to do it really well. So, you know, with everything that's kind of gone on, they built a new stadium that opened in 2019. This, I, I wouldn't call it a make or break year, but, you know, his contract, I believe, only had run through 25. So, it was getting to crunch time for Nick Mingione, and uh, he's done a hell of a job this year. Let's look at the statistics now. Hunter Gilliam comes in as the leading hitter, batting three seventy nine on the season, eight doubles, one triple, six homers, 42 RBIs. Just kind of talk about the season he's had as, as being kind of the leader of the Wildcats and who else LSU fans should get comfortable with this weekend. Yeah, Hunter's been outstanding at first base. The Longwood transfer, again, another guy that, you know, we didn't know that much about coming in, and he's come in and kind of taken everyone by surprise with how well he's played. He had a 22-game hit streak at one point. Uh, he, he just lit it. He was on fire. He's cooled off a little bit at Georgia, but really that could be said for all their bats. But, you know, it's really interesting when you look at the stats. I mean, they've only hit 22 home runs, which I think it's 12. The It's the last in the SEC and 12 off from the team in 13th. But they've stolen the most bases. Sack bunts, they've sack bunted 30 times, and the next closest team is 12. I mean, they play ridiculously <laughs> amount of small ball, and they have a lot of guys who hit for high average. Whether you mentioned Gillum, he's definitely the leader of the group and their best hitter, but Emilian Petrie hitting that four spot is not like a typical four hitter. He's just a high average, high OBP guy. I think he only has one home run. Uh, Jace Felker batting in the two hole. Another one of those guys where two hole, you expect some power. He's got two home runs. 
I mean, Nolan McCarty, Jackson Gray, both over 300. Ryan Walshman over 300. So this is a hit for average team. They run the bases really well. Uh, they move guys over, but they're not going to hit for much power outside of Gillum. You know, you brought up Jackson Gray. Only two home runs, mm-hmm. but he's got nine doubles, three triples, and 14 <laughs> stolen bases. How fast is this yeah. guy? He's, he can he can really move, and he, he's a great story too because he started his college career, another one of these transfer kids, um, at Western Kentucky, and he had a really really good first year there. I believe he was All Conference USA, either just general or freshman team, and then last year he hit under the Mendoza line. He really really struggled. Uh, Kentucky takes a chance on him, thinking he can get back to what he did his freshman year, which was 21. And you mentioned all those stats. He's been he's been incredible, and he's been in that leadoff hole, you know, almost all year, I believe. I think he might have hit nine at the very beginning of the year, but um, he, you know, it was a competition between him and Nolan McCarty to play center field. Uh, Gray won that job, but McCarty's been so good too that they'll mix him in and start him at right a lot, and he's starting at right tonight. So. You know, it's just <laughs> he's a it's one of, one of those transfer success stories that is a common theme for this team. Looking at a couple of your starters, a couple guys that stand out to me for for pitching is Zach Lee, Travis Smith, and Tyler Bozma. You know, just kind of talk about these three arms. What's the rotation this weekend for Kentucky, mm-hmm. and uh, how can they attack LSU's high powered batting order? Yeah, so it looks like it's actually they're gonna. Looks like they're actually going with a little bit of a bullpen day type thing today because Zach Heiss, who's a reliever who I want to say only usually goes two or three at max, uh, is starting tonight. Um, so I found that a little bit interesting. I saw there were two TBAs, so I've kind of been waiting on an update to see exactly how they're going to line up. But typically Friday night they either go with Logan Martin or Darren Williams, and Darren Williams is the best pitcher on the roster. He's a guy who will give you five, whether he's starting it or it's kind of on the bulk end. He's pitching, you know, four innings, five innings at a relief. Um, he's just been dominant, really, all year. I know the ERA is up to three three one, but he's by far the best pitcher on the staff. And then Zach Lee has been really good on Sundays. Um, no one outside of Williams has, I would say, overpowering stuff, but the movement is nasty for a lot of these guys, especially when you get into the bullpen. I think that's more, you know, the rotation's been okay, but they've been able to turn over the bullpen. I mean, Ryan Hagen now, who's he closes sometimes, he sets up. They don't really have a closer per se. I mean, 12 games, I believe, 17 innings, no runs. I mean, he has been. I mean, he's been perfect basically. Mason Moore, who has closed some games, you know, 1.21 ERA in 22 innings. So, you know, they've they've got a lot of depth, which is not. That's really been the biggest thing and reason. Uh, the program struggled for years. They usually were a pretty good offensive team. Uh, Kentucky Proud Park is definitely a pitcher's park, but they still were able to manage offense. Pitching-wise, not much not much depth outside of some guys at the top of the rotation, like Zach Thompson, who's with the St. Louis Cardinals, was their Friday night starter, and then you never knew what you were going to get Saturday and Sunday. But now, you know, between the bullpen and just the starters able to give five innings most nights, you know, they set up pretty nicely. For Kentucky to come into Baton Rouge and have some success this weekend, what what's the keys to victory for the Wildcats? Ooh, it's a tough one. They're gonna have to, you know, they're gonna have to keep manufacturing runs because again, it's not the most talented. I know I went through the batting averages, but they're not going to be a team uh, that's going to hit for a lot of power. And if they struggle to get on base, uh, not much is going to happen. And they do struggle. All five of their losses this season are against 
uh, left-handed starting pitcher. So if LSU throws any lefties to start or to the pen, they're going to have to find a way to get on those guys. You know, Georgia, both those games, they lost in that doubleheader. It was all left-handed pitching. So that's kind of been the bugaboo offensively. And then on the pitching side is, you know, they, the starters just got to keep them in games and hand the ball over to that bullpen. And you got to – today is going to be really interesting to see how Minji does a bullpen day because uh, you don't want to blow your depth for two games. Um, but, <laughs> look, uh, this is definitely the biggest challenge Kentucky's faced so far, and I think we're all really curious to see how they handle it because what they've done is super impressive. No one expected it, uh, but they haven't faced – they haven't faced a team like this. I know they're number one in the RPI. I know they're number five in strength of schedule. But, you know, you kind of look at their schedule and you're like, I don't know how those numbers really work out. Uh, but they'll definitely be tested this week. And then if you look at the rest of their schedule, man, they got Florida, South Carolina, Vandy, Tennessee. I mean, this is the start of a gauntlet. So it's going to be really interesting to see how they perform this weekend. Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws 247 joining us here on Crunch Time. Aaron, really appreciate your time. Enjoy the series this weekend. And uh, once again, man, really appreciate you taking the time today. Yeah, anytime. Take care. And there he goes, Aaron Gershon of the Cats Paws 247. Clint, before we take a timeout, I've got a piece of news that you've probably already seen, but I want to get your take on it. Yeah. Earlier this morning, Haley and Hannah Cavender known for their TikTok fame as well as being a pair of twins that play basketball at the University of Miami or played basketball at the University of Miami. I think I kind of know where you're going with this. They announced this morning on the Today Show that they are joining the WWE. Okay, I didn't hear this, actually. As professional wrestlers. Well, they were part of So they had signed an NIL deal with WWE. But now, like, I haven't read into it. But from the looks of it, it looks like they're getting contracts. Well, I, I'm sure the contracts that they have right now are a lot like what they give the people in the performance center because obviously you, they've got to spend time to get trained, understand what it's like to take bumps, and they'll probably be done in like six months because they'll realize, hey, we don't want to take these bumps all the time and the amount of training that they're going to go through. And it'll obviously be probably something they use for TikTok, cloud, and uh, and get some more social media love. Because obviously they are very popular on social media to where they are getting this kind of opportunity. Somebody said that this has to be the most fearsome tag team since the Legion of Doom. (laughs) Oh, God. These people are out of their minds. Um, Hey, man. I don't know. I don't know. Betsy, you don't even know who the Legion of Doom is, do you? I don't. I don't. It's Hawk and Animal, and also, there's a Saints relation to this, by the way. Okay. James Laurinaitis' son played for the Saints towards the end of his career in the NFL. Really? Yeah. His yeah his son played, he was part of, I'm trying to remember, I think it was Ohio State University. Oh. Yeah. That's John Laurinaitis' son? No, James Laurinaitis. John, John Laurinaitis is the, is the guy from... People power. No, his he is John Laurinaitis. No, James Laurinaitis. I might be misspeaking, but that's not John Laurinaitis' son. His brother is Animal. Okay, and his son played at Ohio State. Yeah, got it. Yeah, got my it. brain may have like I no. I remember. I remember the son because LSU beat him in the national championship game. Yeah, I remember that. But no, I, I didn't know that there was a relation there. That's interesting. Yeah, like I, dude, like this is dating myself here. Remember when Sports Illustrated used to. Like look forward to getting the issues every Correct. month. 
So back in the day, when this the subscription like, was actually worth it. Exactly. So back in like 2002, 2003, why not getting like a free subscription, like a year's worth in like high school? So, and it was like one year they did a college football preview. And like one of the little snippets was, can I borrow your shoulder pads, dad? And it's of him. Nice. I was like, this is like, like right when he started at Ohio State. You know what I, you know what I find so funny? You just said that you got a free subscription to Sports Illustrated in 2002 yeah. when you were in high school. Yeah. I was in kindergarten. <laughs> yeah, I, I got to remember, like, the age gap between was, us is pretty massive. I was massive. in kindergarten. Well, at least, you were, at least you were alive. It's not like you were saying that I was saying this. And like, oh. I was just a thought to my dad no. at that point. No. I was, I, was in, I was five. Joseph Laurinaitis, RIP, Road Warrior Animal. We'll take a time out here on Crunch Time. When we return, we'll we'll let Clint speak his little heart out about the WWE yeah. and AEW. We'll do that next here on the game. This is Crunch Time on the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles. Go subscribe to the game's YouTube channel at the game Louisiana. That way you can check out the latest original videos and more shenanigans from the game. 1037 Lafayette and 1041 Lake Charles, Southwest Louisiana's sports station. Let me talk to you, Miguez. Yeah. Talk to me. Go ahead. Let me talk to you. Give me a second. Let me get the let me get my camera on. <laughs> I'm not like mesh sometimes where he just hides behind. He, ne- he never puts the camera on. He never on does. Trust me. Again, I have the simulcast on, be it when I'm at home, after I get off work, or before I come in, and I have it on when I'm in my office. So I catch like the first hour of the show, and it's never on him. It, it's a good thing that I'm good looking because you're, you're you're putting yourself way too over, brother. You, you people people get to look at me for a long time when James is is back there. God, that is true. Like it, it's it's an incredibly long time whenever it, they have that. It, it it really is. <laughs> All right, I'm sure you're glad you have me for another day. Of course, I, I while love, he's out I, there, you know, I love me some world famous. He's out he's out here ripping lips and I'm a uh, grand Isle and Ralph with the messages on on Twitter have been great. Oh man, <laughs> Ralph, just dogging him. Ralph is fierce. legendary. Oh, Ralph Ralph's, Ralph is like an icon of the game, Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. So talk to me about the yeah. WWE. Because I know that you've got it drawn up in your mind yeah. how the next six months are going to go. All right, so here's how I kind of, like, just in terms of WWE in the next six months, I think we see at the Saudi show, King of the Ring, Queen of the Ring, whatever they want to call it, they're going to have Brock Lesnar versus Cody Rhodes. That's where they're going to book that match out at. And I think Cody winds up winning. And then he will win money in the bank. As much as I would love to see my guy L.A. Knight, yeah, win the Money in the Bank ladder match. I think at the end of the day, Cody Rhodes wins it. He's going to be one of the few to cash in in advance because he's a baby face. You don't want to have him turn on a guy that's already a heel. And I think we see Cody Rhodes win the title at SummerSlam in Detroit. At, I think it's at the Lions Stadium, if I'm not mistaken. Is it? Is it at Ford Field? I'm almost certain. That, like, that's interesting. They're running like more stadium shows than ever. Well, of course, because you can put more people in it. You know that, and you can put it over. Yeah, yeah it's at Ford Field. It is at Ford Field. That's hmm. that's. But, I like that. But then again, AEW is running Wembley. 
Had you seen that? Yeah, that ninety thousand that that thing holds. Yeah, that, that's gonna be wild. Over under fifty five thousand that that place is gonna over. have. Over. Really? Over. I love the optimism. Eighty eighty thousand people. If they hit eighty thousand, that is going to be the biggest success AEW's ever had, and probably like a lot of wrestling promotions would kill to well, have the thing that is, kind of is that AEW is so big. In the UK. It's, it's big in terms of the TV, but that's about it. But that's the thing. More people have access to it in, in the UK. So do not be surprised if people absolutely show out and you see seventy-five to 80,000 people. I wouldn't hate it. Trust me. I would love to see that many people. But I've gone back and forth with it in my head. I wouldn't be surprised if we see like 65 to 70,000. That's kind of where I would put like my number at in terms of attendance. Because if you hit that, that's more than half your attendance for like what you probably would expect. Correct. Because I think a lot of people would say 45,000 would be reasonable. Because there's no way you feel that to where it was in 1992 whenever. SummerSlam went there over 30 years ago. They could barely fill Clash of the Castle last year for WWE on Labor Day weekend. Doing that, this would be the hugest test. And it's wild because five years ago, that was the ultimate test for independent wrestling was to do that show in Chicago, all in, 10,000 seater. Nobody ever thought there'd be a chance in the world that a pro wrestling show not under the WWE banner could draw 10k and they did if they get to like i don't think the 90,000s out of the question but i think in terms of the capacity with the stage set up and everything that's going to happen in late august i wouldn't be surprised if you have 60 to 65,000 now what i'm interested in is what they put on the card because that's what's going to get people really in the door in my mind I couldn't tell you. I don't watch AEW enough. And you should. You, I, I keep telling you, you should. You gave it a shot a while back. You really should. And it was way too mid. It was, you've it got, was, it was mid. You've got Sting. You, Jeff Hardy just came back last I night. I saw that. Jeff Hardy just came back last night. Darby Allen, Swerve Strickland put on a banger of a match. Chris Jericho's still out there putting on really good quality matches. I think you've got to give AEW the honest chance. And like this time is the perfect time to get in on it because they're building up towards double or nothing, which is kind of sort of their WrestleMania. And you've got everything else going for it. Forbidden Door. Like this is a big year for AEW, especially because WWE kind of fumbled the bag, but they can redeem themselves. AEW has a chance to really pounce and get people reinterested in the product because they they suffered a lot since the all out brawl out stuff, which. I've gone into a lot of detail about, and looks like rumors are CM Punk may be back before mm. Forbidden Door, make make his first appearance, and then we see what happens from there. That could be a big draw for that show in uh, London. LSU baseball, do they win tonight? I think they win tonight. It's going to be probably one-run game. Paul Skeens dominates like he has been? I think Skeens dominates, probably allows a home run, but that's about it. 
want to take this opportunity to thank our guest today, Jay Walker, coming on to talk all things Raging Cajuns, and Aaron Gershon for giving his point of view on the Kentucky LSU series. Once again, 6 o'clock tonight, 6.30 tomorrow, and then a 2 o'clock game on Saturday for the producer, the world-famous Clint Domingue. I would say the. I don't know that you don't put the producer extraordinaire. It's just the producer it should be the producer, like the, the Ohio State producer. Because I am the guy that got James in this he is. seat. You are the the, the world famous CD. I'm Matt Miguez. Be safe. Be well. Hug your mom and them. And we're back tomorrow for a Friday fun show right here on the game. It's Southwest Louisiana Sports Station. Let's send it out to Alex Box Stadium now with the voice of the Tigers, Chris Blair. <laughs>